Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast. What is it like to become a pilot in midlife? The challenges are unique, but so are the rewards. Hosts Ben, Brian, and Ted talk learning to fly, growing as pilots, and the joy of flying to destinations. The purpose of the podcast is not to teach, but to share knowledge and experiences. Don't forget, the Midlife Pilot Podcast Nashville Fly-In is April 26th, 27th, and 28th. While the Midlife Compound is sold out, there are plenty of options to stay nearby. Join us, and we apologize in advance if Ben does karaoke. Okay, checklists are complete. Let's get the show started. Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast, episode 62, where we talk all things flying and aviation in midlife. As our announcer said at the beginning, my name is Ben, and you do not have to worry about me singing karaoke at the fly-in, so don't change your plans. I couldn't carry a tune if you strapped it on my back, and I'm fully aware of that. I'm a commercial-rated uh, pilot here in Atlanta flying a Cessna 182 I like to call the Beast. Joining me tonight, as always, my friend Brian, who is a private pilot with a tailwheel rating in Nashville, home of the Bachelorette Super Charlie. He flies a Cherokee 180 named Lucy. Hey, Brian. How's it going, Ben? Going very well, thank you. Also joining us tonight from the left coast, the west coast, Ted, our sport pilot extraordinaire in Portlandia, flying the flight design CTLS, we like to call the egg. Hey, Ed, egg. Ted. Yes. Yeah. Had some uh, fun flying lately, but uh, you got some uh, some new paint. Got new paint. Um, you know, I was... Uh, I wasn't expecting a lot. So we had chips here. We had some chips of paint on the leading edge, some cracking on the cowling uh, of the paint. And, you know, it was kind of like my beat up old Toyota that I used to have. And it was just kind of its personality. Now, I mean, it looks good. And now I'm like scared to take it out and bugs are going to get on it. I mean, it looks really nice. So um I'd like to think that my brother-in-law did this just for the fly-in, but um, honestly, it was, it's been planned for a while. So, But yeah, it, it's looking good. Thanks for asking about that. Is that the kind of thing where you um, – what is the airplane equivalent of parking your car at the very back of the parking lot so no shopping carts hit it? I mean, like, you know, if you are on the ramp somewhere now, are you just going to park as far away as possible? Just going to tie it down on the ramp and then just go out there every day and polish it and just never fly it so no bugs will get on it. I mean, I think that's kind of maybe similar to it. Um, a lot of people are asking for picks. I, I have some picks, but it it just doesn't do it justice right now. I need to wait for a, a prettier day to, to take the pictures. So uh, I'll try to maybe get that out uh, on the Discord server or something. But, yeah, it's uh, I'm excited about it. It does look good. A little bit more ramp appeal maybe this time around. So And a couple knots. Exactly. I mean, now I'm getting 170 knots. No problem whatsoever. It just, uh, it's hard to slow the thing down. Uh, less fuel but burn. The, yeah. Yeah, instead yeah. of burning 40 gallons an hour, I'm only burning 35. That's what it feels like sometimes. That's for sure. Let's uh, take care of a few housekeeping things. Uh, we uh, broadcast live every Tuesday night on YouTube. Most Tuesday nights, let me say, uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, youtube.com slash at Bidlife Pilot Podcast. We've got about 17 people in the live chat. It's an active group. It's always fun to watch their comments. So please join us on Tuesday nights. 
You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get them. Please leave us a five-star review. Um, we did get a review recently. Maybe one of us can scramble to pull that up, but uh, it was great feedback uh, or, or a nice review, nice five-star review. And lastly, we'd love getting feedback and your suggestions. Email us at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, whatever you want to, if you got show suggestions, um, comments, whatever you feel like sharing with us, please feel free to reach out. We love hearing from you. Uh, Brian, we've got a, a new announcement regarding the Patreon. You want to tell us about it? <laughs> Who, who we're donating to now, maybe? Uh, right. Okay. It's funny because it, there's moments where I just think, oh, right, we're doing a podcast right now, and I should actually know <laughs> what the next thing is. Uh, by the way, side note, before I get into that, uh, yes, a new review on Apple Podcasts. Fantastic. Really nice. Very kind. Five-star review from Not Carrie V.E. Foot. Maybe there's some way of reading this that I don't know how to read it, and it's something really clever, but I'm not able to pick it up. But anyway, uh, the title of the review said episode 60. So this is a couple episodes ago, and it says, probably the best episode thus far. I loved how Erica was breaking down the calculus of establishing and holding yourself accountable for minimums. I'd love to learn more from her, thanks to all. So Shout out to Erica Gilbert of Aerosafe. Go check out our YouTube channel. And um, clearly, you know, she, she's uh, elevating our game because people are now writing in just to, to, to talk about her, which makes total sense. Um, so that's a really cool thing and a very kind review. So thank you for that. But yes, getting into specifically Patreon. Obviously, we've, you know, we've, we've been, we, we talked a good bit last week about what it all means, why we're doing it the way that we're doing it. But there was one layer that we just hadn't had in place yet that we needed to have in place before we could really um, talk about it. And we did put a, a note out to our patrons, so you've all seen it. But um, we are going to... Actually, let me just put this in the, in the hopper. If you're not doing this for a reason, then why are you doing it? We are all putting a lot of time and energy into this. People are putting time and energy into joining us. People are putting time and energy into sending us feedback or whatever, being a part of the thing, the discord, all of the, the things. Well, you have to have something, I think, that's a little bit larger than yourself in all this. And so you may remember from an episode a while back, I want to say it was episode 37, and we had Stephanie and Jared from the Freedom Aviation Network on, and they explained at length their organization, how it came to be, and who they're serving, and what they need. And so we're happy to be in a place now where we are committing to sending 10% of all of our monthly Patreon uh, whatever that is, we just bundle that up and we drop it straight to them. And so the Freedom Aviation Network, without getting into all of that, please go listen to episode 37. But ultimately, it's it serves to transport people that need efficient, safe, 
sometimes fairly quick transportation to get out of situations that involve human trafficking. Uh, and then it also covers their advocates. And I also highly recommend that you sign up to become a pilot on their website, which is freedomaviationnetwork.org. And one other thing I want to throw out there really quickly, sorry to go on about this. That's fine. Is a couple episodes ago on Opposing Bases, shout out to Opposing Bases, and thanks for giving us a shout out. We're just going to play shout out. <laughs> <Pink Paul. laughs> so a couple of episodes ago, they spoke to something that I thought was really important. And it's something that really spoke to where I am right now in my flying, I think, which is that early on, you don't want to take on a lot of external pressure, a lot of external responsibilities. You don't want to take flights that are got to get there. It's scheduled. I've got people counting on me, all those things. But I think on the path to uh, and Ben, you'll be able to speak to this more maybe, but um, on the path more to a, a commercial rating, you have now been more so equipped to handle those kinds of decisions and and to do them, uh, do those kinds of flights uh, in the right way. Now, that does not mean though, if you don't have a commercial rating that you can't fly for Angel Flights or Pilots and Paws or Freedom Aviation Network or any number of these kinds of organizations and Opposing Basis did a great job of uh, saying that basically that is something that is a really valuable thing to do to build, even as a private pilot, not even you know commercial or anything like that. Uh, and you don't even have to be instrument rated for a lot of these things too, right? It, to be working on that ADM and to be taking on those pressures in a healthy, responsible, staged way is going to make you a better pilot. And so yet another reason to support the Freedom Aviation Network. If you're one of our patrons, you're already doing that. You can also go to their website and and volunteer. And they're looking for people all over the country. The, the type of network that they're building, it really requires people from all over. So um, that's that's what I got. That's I, I don't know if I told you all this, but I actually um, signed up for a mission um, it was it was a really cool experience. Unfortunately, the mission di didn't happen. Uh, but the the morning of the person was not able to be transported, and so we had to scrub it. But the twelve hours or twenty four hours leading up to it, it it was it was pretty cool stuff. Um, they're doing it the right way, legally, through, not only through the FAA but through all other channels. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty anxious to 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 get my first mission under the belt. So I think it's a, like you said, it's a great organization. Um, the other thing that I wanted to update regarding housekeeping is we have finally, and this is no disrespect to my co-host, we have a wonderful website, and everything is there. I don't have to keep telling you twelve different places to connect with us. You can go to midlifepilotpodcast.com, and there you can link to YouTube, you can link to Patreon, you can link to eventually the merch store. Uh, we're redoing some stuff there, so uh, you can go check it out. You can send us a voice message, you can send us a text message, however you want to do it. So um, please go check it out. 
Um, yes, our pretty website. <laughs> and by the way, the, hey, that was feedback driven too, because yes. we had um, we had uh, somebody email us and say, hey, I was just trying to find out when you guys are doing your YouTube live recordings for these podcasts. And um, it wasn't even on our kind of automagical RSS feed uh, website that was essentially a placeholder. But they basically said like, hey, you know, more or less, it was like, get it, get it together, guys. Like, what are you, what, what are you doing? And it, so we did. The easiest thing for us to do, and it's the last thing we did. So, yeah. Um, also want to take a moment real quick to thank our new Patreon members. Uh, in the Hershey Bar category, we have Nabil A and Cheryl O. I believe I saw Cheryl in the chat. Thank you very much. And in the Landomatic tier, we have Chris M. So uh, thank you all for your support. Uh, we really do appreciate it. So what do you say we uh, talk about complacency? Yeah, let's uh, do it. I mean, I feel like I haven't even really thought about it very much, you know? You're being complacent about being complacent? Yeah. Something <laughs> like that? No, this is great. This I'm I'm so happy that we're doing this, and this I think is a perfect dovetail from what we were on last week. So this is great, Brian. Why don't you uh, kick us off, um, and we'll kind of go around the horn, and and I'll finish it up because uh, I have a scenario uh, scenario that I want to present to you two and to our live stream chat, and then maybe we can get some feedback uh, from the audio listeners as to what they think. So why don't you kick us off? Absolutely. So we wanted to talk about ways to combat complacency, not necessarily to be taken as instruction or anything like that. It's more about real world ways of looking at things that you might encounter as a midlife pilot and perhaps not doing it for a career, most likely not doing it for a career. We are, I think, in a position to have a couple of challenges. One is that we haven't, in many cases, been doing this for very long. And so the, the, the way that we're building habits means a lot. And how we behave means a lot. How we execute our flights means a lot. And at the same time, we're not headed towards something where the requirements get more stringent and the training becomes more rigorous or now we're going to this company and now we're, you know, so we we don't have that to sort of rein in the loose ends. Um, and we're here. We're living in the general aviation world. We're not, in most cases, looking to uh, move on. Although, by the way, side note, Ben, uh, I was coming in on a very long left base at John Toon today, getting you know vectored by BNA. And then on the opposite side, they had a King Air coming in and it was sort of like a race to see who could get to the extended center line before, uh, you know, and they kept trying to turn me to sort of get the sequencing together. And, and eventually they, I, I, I was sort of wondering, when are they going to turn us or somebody, something's got to give. And I know that they're going to give preference to the King Air. And then finally they gave me another vector going slightly you know, further away from, from the airport and then let him go. Uh, number one, but the controller said, um, he's, you know, kind of 
ah, you know, I'm sorry. I got to give you just, if you can give me another, whatever it was, 20 degrees to the right or something. You guys kind of tied there. You know, it was, it was, it was a tie. <laughs> and I was so, so close to just saying, that's got to be the first time that a Cherokee has ever tied a King <laughs> Air anywhere. Um, so it's amazing how many things uh, I think of to say that I don't say. So uh, restraint yeah. thing. So on, on that topic, I, I had flown across town to get gas and flown back. And when I was coming back, uh, there were some students doing pattern work and the tower made them do a 360 so I could come in. I was like, okay, that's, that's great. I feel, you know, like I feel important here. Uh, you're doing a 360. I go land and I'm, I'm taxing back as they're finally coming in uh, on final. And there's some birds and of course I scare them. And I'm like, they're almost all away from the runway. And so I think they're going to go away from the runway. They all turn and go across the runway. Uh -oh. And I just, I get on and it's on, on the tower frequency. And I was like, birds, three, two, right. And like, I don't even bother making a good call, you know, and, and they uh, had to go around. So they did a 360 and then go around. <laughs> I guess maybe it's good training, you know, but it was like, it was just funny to have that same, that set of if, circumstances. If, if their CFI was with them, they really appreciated it because they're just building on those uh, hops time. So totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but so getting back topic. to complacency. Yes. No, this is how, you know, this is how we roll. Yeah. So in that spot that we are in, which I think is most of us, I think one of the first things that, I, I see sometimes around me in other pilots that have been similar in their journey. I feel like that they have not maintained a healthy fear. And I think that that's kind of where it starts. If you're not cultivating and maintaining a healthy fear, then this is where you're going to get. You're going to start having these things kind of go sideways. And so what I've been about and what I think is a great way to combat complacency is to just observe it in other people around you and then ask yourself, are you doing the same things? Sometimes it's easier to see those things when they're external to you. Another way of doing that that is not so um, nitpicky uh, is we're always going to come back to this, but the killing zone, um, there are so many examples in the killing zone. Highly recommend it. Everybody should read it more than once. Read it while you're before you train, read it in the middle of your training, read it once you're out on your own and you'll have a different take on it and a different look every time. But, you know, when I, when I see the stories of, you know, two pilots taking a plane somewhere stopping for fuel and both and and taking off with no gas caps on on either wing and ending up in a bad situation uh, and crashing essentially forced landing because they just kind of thought the other guy got it you know so it's um really important i think to have a healthy fear that you maintain cultivate that fear in a in a constructive way and find ways that find ways to observe that around you look for it look for it in other people's practices and then ask yourself the same questions and then read the killing zone so those are really if i had one thing that's kind of the 
the umbrella one thing. I, I like how you phrase it, cultivating healthy fear. I Look, we're all scared of dying, and we know that could happen anytime we're in the airplane, and it doesn't end there. It's making sure that um, you continually understand that if something goes wrong because you've done something that you forgot to do, um, it's not you're going to go to jail. It's not you're going to get a speeding ticket or you're going to get a fine. It's your life could be at stake. So I think that's great. Yeah. I, Killing Zone does a, a good job of of categorizing those errors and, and trying to pick up on the the largest categories that have that have happened over the years. And and that's part of why it's such a good reminder. Um, my kind of my my way of battling complacency is is similar to that, which is I pay a lot of attention to the crash analysis. Uh, I'm I'm not looking to rubberneck or to blame the pilots or look at what how how they did something wrong and I'm a lot better than that. It's having that um, healthy respect for it and thinking that could be how that could have easily been me. And how, what is it that I'm doing that I'm going to end up in the same situation or in a, in a similar situation? And <laughs> I, I mean, another way to, to put that is what's the first line of your NTSB crash report going to look like? What's it going to be? He, he skipped looking for his fuel caps because his plane was in his locked hangar. Where could they, where else could they have gone? Right. Whatever it is, what, how are you writing that? And I've always thought about that in the way of how are you going to explain this when you end up in ER? Like when you're working around the house and you're, you're leaning to clean the gutters and you're about to fall off the ladder. Maybe, I love that. I love, I love that your whole thing is like more geared towards the fear of mortal embarrassment as opposed <laughs> to just straight death. Well, it's, it's really, um, Worse these are, these are, these are the, the obvious dumb things that are going to be hard to explain if you did it. So, you know, it is, it is embarrassment, but it's, it's really, there's, there's no justification for it. Right. And that's why I like using the example of, of leaning on the ladder for gutters, because I think that like every man who's about age 60 that ends up in the hospital, it's because they fall off a ladder. Like there, there's something it's, it's very specific. I don't, I don't know what that is, but um, and Maybe I don't should address that more than even the flying stuff, right? It sounds yeah. like we're, we're all coming up on that, right? So maybe we need to start talking about ladders here. Ladders and gutter safety. Yes, that's uh, that's the pivot your, of the podcast. Your point is good, though, Ted. Um, for some reason or another, Blank Alario's, uh channel has been popping up my feed a lot, or maybe he's just producing a lot. But there is a continuous theme with throughout his videos, and now it resonates in my mind nonstop. And that is, you can stall an airplane at any speed, which is a great reminder to have. But it's repeated over and over and over again in his videos. And so to your point, watching these post-crash and, and trying to learn from them, it's, um, I, I, I think it's, it's valuable. Yeah. Do you know what, um, I just learned recently what Blanco Lirio means and why that's the name of his channel. I didn't even know this. <laughs> But it means white lily. Yep. And, and it was his, was his wife's channel. channel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he just inherited just whatever channel was there. I love that. Gosh, yeah. that's such a 
a trip, fall, succeed story. Uh, also, the it seems Lily like a very midlife thing. Channel is basically what he's saying it is. So yeah, no, I but yeah, I saw that uh, episode too where he announced it, but that's uh that's cool. Yeah. So I guess it's my turn. Um, we we have a visual that we're going to put up, and so for our audio only audience, uh, I'll I'll do my best to describe. Yeah, we could it. use visual aids, Ben. This is you're <laughs> you're, like the, you're the kid doing the book report last purposefully so that you can come up and just you know you know you're right. So um, to set Diorama. the stage, Saturday we got the paint out of uh, the paint plane out of paint. And uh, it was cured and it was ready to fly. It had been about 10 days since I've flown. And I had my middle son was home from school. Go Jackets. And um, I decided um, he was wearing his Georgia Tech hoodie. So I said, well, let's pop over to Athens and see if we can't get beat up. But uh, not really. It was just I hadn't been to the airport in a while. and wanted to shoot an instrument approach, whether it was practice or actual, you know, either way. And he said, "Hey, Dad, um, Road Atlanta is really close by there on the way on the way back. Can we go circle it? And let me get some photos." He's really into cars. He he loves everything about it. He follows F one really closely. So I said, "Sure, um, we can do that." And we found it. We landed in Athens, and we pulled up my iPad, and we looked at the map, and we found where the racetrack was. And and honestly, I, I didn't. I said, yeah, that's that's on the way. It's just north of Gwinnett County, it's south of Gainesville Airport. I've flown in that area a bunch. I knew it. I knew the area very well. And also, at the time, it wasn't on the top of my mind, but there is a tower um, that is 1,765 feet above ground. Stated differently, it's 2,655 feet above sea level at the top of it. So it's a big one and it is very well lit, but here's the thing. And this is the complacency that, that me as an almost a thousand hour pilot, it's a hard lesson learned and something that I'll pay more attention to that. I did not look at my route of flight, including flying over this racetrack and take into account obstacles even though I've flown in the area and I, you know, I knew that it was there, but in the back of my mind and, um, and a matter of fact, both, I think it's just Gwinnett County has got a towered airport. And then when you're also on the, uh, radio with Atlanta Tracon, they warn you about that tower. Hey, there's a tower at your two o'clock. Make sure you see it. Wow. So anyway, we get up, we circle the, um, you can, for those that are watching on the live stream, you can see uh, where we did our, our loop around and, and the proximity of that tower. And as I was turning to put my son in view to take photos, I saw that tower right in front of me. And that's great. But it was at that point in time thinking, I should have known about this before I ever got to it. I should have made myself aware. I need to be better about watching for threats on my route of flight, whether it's obscurations, other traffic, flying into a Bravo, whatever the case may be, there are certain aspects of your en route that you shouldn't, even if it's a 15 second glance at a profile view, either in Forflight or Garmin Pilot, whatever you use, take a look at it. 
and and that's a complacency that had that been my first time in that area, I could have run into that tower. Yeah. That's a huge one. This is huge. And I love, I recently was pl- uh, planning a route and I just realized if I went direct, I'd be going over a big uh, natural reserve that I, if I just scooted my route, just one notch over, I'd be following airports going right. You know, there's just so many things with flight planning that are, I think, um, easily, easily grounds for, for complacency. Now, when you saw this tower, were you also thinking about, oh, there's wires? So um, I have, um, I did record this flight with my son. I have audio. And my son made the comment that, well, dad, it's, it's lit up. Why are you worried about running into it? And I said, I'm not worried about running into the tower itself. I said, what do you think's holding that thing up? And then the light bulb went off. And I said, it's the guy wires that, that are the threat there. And you can't see them. But you, if you stay five miles away from them, then I think you have a pretty good chance of clearing them. And that's what we did, basically, is we made sure we remained clear. So, um, yeah, that was it. To me, it's the, the towers at the threat. It's what's holding it up. So, Well, and also, you're flying low because, relatively low, because you want to take pictures. So, 1,000 feet when, off the ground. You don't think about it if you're 8,000 feet up. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. When it first came into view, I was eye level with the top. <laughs> because he wanted to get down to get as, you know, as close, you know, we wanted to stay 1500 feet, uh, above ground level, uh, which is the lowest I was willing to go with him. So, uh, yeah, it's again, I'm going to be taking a flight on Thursday and you can bet on it. I I'm going to be looking at terrain towers. I don't use for flight. I'm one of, the 13th people in the world that don't, but, um, you know, Garmin pilot has a great profile view and that includes towers and terrain and everything. And, um, it's just, it, I, and it's not only obstacles, it's going to be airspace. It, it's all, all aspects of it. Does it have something comparable to the, uh, hazard advisor in four flight where you can kind of, uh, not, in, not in the profile view, but just when you're looking at the full view, you can kind of scroll the altitude. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, you know, again, I, I'm about to hit a thousand hours and this, I'm going to Huntsville on uh, Thursday in the morning and, and I've made that flight a dozen times, maybe more. And it's easy for me to just to go hop in the plane, put in, uh, MD, uh, MQI direct enter, enter and send it. Um, but it was, it was it was eye opening event for me, and I'm curious if anybody in the chat or anybody else uh, has a, a story similar to that. That you know, I kind I didn't. I don't want to say I got away with one, but it was a uh, it was a great reminder and pulled me out of that complacency. I have a question. Okay, do you think that flying mostly instrument flight plans for a long period of time? And then coming back to VFR is a situation that can atrophy your flight planning skills a little bit in the sense that you're used to f- flying defined routes. And so now are you more prone to direct enter in or send it? Um, I, I would say that 
flying solely instrument plans or IFR plans, which I'm starting to do a little less of, I'd say 75% of my flights are filed. If it's, if it's something where I'm going to a meeting the next day and I know that I need to get there, I'm going to do it. But on the flight that I went with uh, Noah, my son, it was VFR and I, I didn't file a flight plan. But to your point, it does atrophy my skills in being familiar with the airspaces because you don't have to worry about it. Um, I, I don't think it really does on the, the VFR side of it. Um, I think it's more, I don't have to worry about, you know, busting an airspace and, and they're going to keep me out of terrain as well when you're on an IFR flight plan. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of both in there. So I have a, a, one of those reminders of when you're dumb and you've been complacent and you realize it. Um, I was, uh, when I was flying down in, in SoCal last year, I went and I was just bouncing around a bunch of the airports kind of at the edge of the, of the Bravo when I flown through it and everything else while I was there. And I, I was focused on getting into one Delta and I was going to bounce out of that and go to the next one over. Um, and I'll, I'll put that up, which, um, that was Camarillo and Oxnard. So it's a CMA. And so I landed at Camarillo. It's a ways out. And then I thought, well, you know, when I take off now, those airports are about six miles apart and they're both deltas and it's really busy traffic between them. I hadn't really planned on that. So I was like, I got in the air. I, I knew what direction the runway was. I was going to uh, tune up um, the the weather so I could uh, talk to the tower. The problem is that they were close enough and there was enough traffic that was just kind of saturated with traffic advisories and everything. And instead of kind of bailing and and heading out a ways, I kind of kept going in. I kept on the on the flow that we were in. And they said, you know, do you do you have, you know, Victor? And I was like, no, I, I don't. Um and they're like, okay, come on in. And I did. I came in, I landed on this seven thousand foot runway. It's the only runway they've got. And uh and I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna taxi off and you know go back. I don't want to do a touch and go, get off and kind of settle things. Because I hadn't listened to um, the the ATIS, I missed that all of the taxiways, except for the very first and the very last one, were closed. So here I land on the first 2,000 feet of the runway, and I've got to taxi another 5,000 feet to the end of the runway. And they've got to call people that are coming, that are lined up behind me, and get them to go around because I didn't I didn't do my homework, right? Like, I'm just going to come in and just do one landing. It's no big deal at a new airport. That was really, for me, it was really a, one of those reminders of complacency and how it, it, you know, I'm lucky that's all it was. Right. But man, how, how stupid did I feel with that? Yeah. I, I mean, I imagine every pilot's been there multiple times. Let's just hope it's these minor things that bring us out of the complacency. Um, our friend of the show, Wendell Geek, uh, I think he's kind of taken it a little bit to an extreme. I'm not sure that I want to go out and handwrite a nav log. God bless him for it, though. I recently did a long cross-country flight via far pilotage and dead reckoning. First, it was a blast, but more importantly, it really helped re-engage via far flight planning 
when I had to calculate wind correction, et cetera. It's uh, it's a great refresher. I, I, I love that you did it. Um, I, I think it would be kind of cool to do that every now and then just to kind of keep those uh, chops sharp. I think one of the things that we haven't really spoken to yet, which is, I don't want to say it in, the, in this way of like, um, watch out for Ted coming in. Right. You know, <laughs> but I had, but I had an incident or I had an experience today that was one of those reminders also that you have to be really, really aware that it, there's a lowest common denominator. We're all trying to take care of ourselves and therefore take care of other people. You're only, it's only as good as the weakest link in whatever traffic situation that you're in or, or whatever. I was flying into Music City Executive today and it was pretty busy. And I was just coming in to do a landing and then taxi back. I was going to see if my tailwheel instructor was over there or not or whatever, just kind of hanging around. So I was just casually coming in and I realized that I was putting myself into a little bit of a hornet's nest, but I felt good about what I was doing. I maneuvered on the 45, left downwind for 3.5. Everything was great. There was reasonable spacing. There was a few things going on. The first thing that happened was there was somebody crossing midfield, and I, I could never even repeat or explain, I was trying to tell uh, Katie this earlier and I couldn't even explain it, but it was, he had the most incredibly detailed call that was explaining what he was doing. That was such word salad that you could not, everything he said was a landmine for three interpretations all in one call. And it, it was a lot of, you know, mid, it, it was one of those things where it was really only going to affect the people that were behind me. Uh, turning crosswind to downwind, I was going to be sort of past what that situation was going to amount to. But this guy made this crazy sort of mucked up call stating his intentions and how he was going to come into the area and what he was going to do to teardrop and all this. But it was just a whole lot of stuff. I just remember thinking, well, I really don't understand anything that that guy said, but I sure as heck hope that those people behind me really I guess they understood it because I didn't understand it. And then right after that, they got on and went, Hey, um, about your, like when you say this, are you, they had to really just kind of stop the, yeah. the works there and get clarity from this guy. So that was sort of the, the first thing. And then um, the other thing that happened was, and actually this is slightly before I even got to the downwind, I was coming in and there was, I think it was a Saratoga and he was coming in. So the runway is three, five, one, seven active runways, three, five. This guy was essentially flying on the departure coming in and announcing, but he was just basically saying, I'm, I'm going to join or, or I'm, I'm going to, and how did he even word it? It's like people do these things that are so stupid that I can't even figure out like how they even communicated it sometimes. <laughs> But basically, he was joining the pattern on the crosswind. And I, I mean, I've seen people do all kinds of things. And I guess that's like a thing that people do. But he had, the, so I, I was just observing this. He was a, a little bit ahead of me and in a faster plane. So I was just letting it play out. 
And he hears me make my call that I'm maneuvering for the downwind. And he says to me on the radio, he's like, hey, uh, one six Lima, are are you going to be number two on the downwind? Essentially, you know, relative to him. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really his way of saying, I you know that I'm here first. <laughs> but it was the closest I've ever come to saying something really snarky on the radio. I don't want to be that guy. I hate it when people say, "Oh man, yeah." You know when they get into it on the with each other on the radios, and I'll, I can't stand it. This is the closest I've come, though. I was I was a little irritated, but he asked me. He said, "Hey, one six Lima." Uh, are you number two? And I said, um, what did I say? I said something like, well, uh, I said, yes, if you've entered the downwind from the crosswind, uh, you know, it, it, or I said, if you've entered the pattern, uh, yes, what I said, I said, if you've entered the pattern on the crosswind, then yes, I'm number two, you know, but it was just, what I don't know what the guy was thinking. I don't know if that's complacency or if that's, just I'm I'm going where I want to go, but either way, that's a huge area. I think pattern entries and doing things the proper way. I think a lot of people get complacent in, in areas and environments that they're familiar with. Yeah. So, um, speaking of that, um, joining the pattern on on the crosswind, I think that used to be a thing <clears throat> that actually came up. And it, it reminded me to give uh, a couple of quick shout outs uh, to some of our community members. Uh, Biff B, uh, Mike, Alka Golf, Mike Alpha Golf, and our very own One Dog Geek all had big check rides that they passed in the last week. And yeah. joining the pattern on the crosswind was uh, part of uh, the debrief we had with with Mr. Biff uh, on his. So he, he knows something um, about that. You can see that in the chat. But um, we do want to say congratulations. That's huge accomplishments. Um, private for Biff and Mike Alka, Mike Alpha Golf. I don't know why I'm struggling with that. And then a commercial for our friend One Dog Geek. So uh, very happy for all of y'all. Congratulations. Yeah, the, the we, we had this uh, private debrief with with Biff and, and, and some other people. Um, and uh, and th this topic of uh, entering the pattern on a crosswind came up, and uh, it was interesting. It as Wendell Geek said, it must have been something in the past. And if anybody knows where that comes from, please hit us up. If there used to be a recommendation from the FAA to to enter on a crosswind, please let us know. Uh, but the main thing I wanted to say is we had this this debrief with Biff and. Uh, it's always great. We always learn when, when we get the chance to to debrief with with people, and whether it's people that are uh, before that point, pre check ride, or people that this is they did this in the. Man, I can't remember when my check ride was now, right? Like you you still learn, and that was a good example of it. But um, I I have a clip from from that. Of, and, and before I was just going to say, prior to that debrief, I'd never heard of a cross wind entry into a pattern yeah I, i'd never heard of it i honestly didn't so go ahead with that yeah so anyway that i pulled a clip out of it uh to share uh Biff was talking about doing his uh uh soft field uh landings so here's that clip so i didn't really have a feel for the 
crosswind that had now come into play because it was pretty much blowing straight down the runway, all the rest of it. And now it had flipped around and was basically a direct crosswind. I still struggle with especially soft field because you have that extra angle of attack. So it's really catching the wind more. So my crosswind, which is sketchy at best on a normal day, when you, when you throw in that extra pitch attitude and kind of goose with me. So we come in and I just started drifting off and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. But at this point, I'm so close to the ground. I should have just done a go around. I, I should have. Wish I would have. But we came down and I did not take out any taxiway light, but it was close on my side. It was probably one of the worst landings I've ever done, ever. But we were dead. So I'm like, okay, good. We're done. So we get to the hold shore. Uh, I'm going to do my after landing. He's like, you can do one better than that. And I was like, you're right. I can. I have. He's like, well, you're going to do one right now. I'm like, okay. So away we go. And then this one went better. I came in, nailed the center line, which was good, but really plopped it in pretty good. I think there was even some bounces. I mean, it was another very not pretty landing. I'm like, wow, that was pretty much it. So we taxi in. He just got out of the plane, walked inside. So I walk in, he's got the certificate in front of him. Yeah. What an experience. It's like, you did poor on that. You get to do it again. Like, no. <laughs> I, I think crosswinds are the thing that I, um, one of the worst things that I, the things I had the least amount of experience with by the time I did my, my check ride. And it's one of the things that I've developed since then. And, well, and I'll say this too. That's an area of complacency that can get you in real trouble. Yeah. Um, not going out and practicing a crosswind landing every now and then uh, when the opportunity arises. You, that is something, that is a skill that can get rusty and can come back to bite you. I'm not a CFI. Yeah. I'm just speaking from experience here. It's, it's bit me in the past. I have, a, yeah. I have a question, Ben. Have you ever deliberately practiced landings at a much higher approach speed and or you know landing speed than what you normally would ever do because when you're learning if you come in super fast it just means all kinds of problems right but when you've got more control and and more time i was just curious if you ever practice landings so I, i've done a version of that um i and i still practice this i will practice no flaps landings 10 degrees 20 degrees and 35 degrees to answer your question, that's going to give me different approach speeds. And and even on, you know, round out, I'm still going to be going a little bit faster with no flaps. But I'm training myself to learn how to bleed that speed off in those different com- uh, configurations. Yeah. Because um, yeah, Geek, Geek is saying, wasn't that result in a float or a bounce? And, of course, that's that's what you're going to get, one or the other. Um, I guess I, did, I was doing some landings today where I was just like, I don't know, I'm just going to come in, you know, 10 to 15 knots fast <laughs> and just and, and just give myself a lot more time to to bleed off energy and maintain control you want to make sure you have a lot of runway or you're prepared for a go around one or the other if you're sure. going to practice that i think that's i mean that's part of um one of the other things that i did in my private training it just made me think of is my instructor i was struggling i was coming in too fast and i was our, our plane doesn't like to float. I mean, it floats not as much as a 172, but still floats a little bit. It's just heavier. And so um, you smack the ground a little bit harder. And one of the things we did, he called it dragging the runway. 
And basically, as soon as we get probably 10 feet above where we would normally round out, we put in a little bit of power and we arrest that descent and we're staying 10 to 15 feet above the runway and just trying to fly it as slow yep. as we can yeah. to get that sight picture of the speed that you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's another way of doing what you're saying is coming in at a higher speed uh, to learn how to manage that energy. Well, for, you know, tailwheel, that's what we did a lot of because in order to get a good wheel landing, that's, you've got to find a, a setting that is going to give you the most meager descent rate possible with a really upright um, sight picture, you know. Right. Not what you're used to seeing if you're used to flying Cessnas and Cherokees and whatnot. It's, you're used to kind of being in that landing attitude that's, uh, you know, and that's more accustomed to the, you know, a, a three point landing. But in, for a wheel landing, it's just a, everything about it is antithetical to what you've done. And I guess there's part of that that just had me curious about, even though I'm flying a Cherokee, I've gotten this experience to where, I'm especially, you know, of, like, of course, long runway, da, 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 da. But to really just keep that speed up. And here's the other reason why I was just curious about it. One is uh, it was pretty gusty today. And so I was kind of having fun with it to see what if I just went full um, in this kind of mindset of I, I'm just going to wildly outpace all of this. Gu- I'm just going to penetrate all of this to the point where it's almost nullified, right? How... So I, I actually came in on final really, really fast because I was behind a King Air anyway. So, you know, I wanted to show up. <laughs> but, um, and I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to slow this thing down to 68 knots or 65 or 70 knots. I'm not going to do it. I, I came in, you know, with I think one notch of flaps or maybe two and probably 80 knots, which is, you know, pretty fast. In yeah. A, Cherokee 180. And I had one of the greasiest landings that I've ever had. And I realized it's, there's something about the Cherokee because it doesn't float Hershey bar Cherokee. It's just going to sit. And so when you're really coming in, it's even at 70 knots, you know, 73 knots, you know, coming in a little, little faster. It's still, it just gets to this point. And even if you leave power in, however you do it, it's pretty hard to get the, did we just land landing, right? It's, I'm talking about like the greasiest of the grease, right? We call them zero G's. Yes. Zero G landings. Yeah. And I realized I had a zero G landing today and it was because I was going 80 knots. (laughs) So I could just slowly, just patiently let this thing come down with enough speed to where it never did that kind of fallout kind of a thing. I mean, I, you can get the greasy stuff at slower speeds, but in a Cherokee, you just, it's, it's a much tighter ring to hit, you know? Um, right. Whereas in a, in a 172, it's like all day, no problem. So anyway, faster speeds. I was just curious about that. Yeah. Did you, did um, you land with that, with that higher speed or you, you bled that off before you landed? I definitely was, two feet off the runway going way, way too fast. And I don't know exactly what the speed was when it actually dropped, but it was certainly a lot higher than normal because what I'm doing is in the Cherokee, I'm just leaving, uh, you know, 1400 RPM or something in 
yeah. you know, I, I'm not chopping it and dropping it. And you can even make really impressive short field, get off at the first taxiway, whatever kind of landings and be leaving power in. It's just going to make it, I don't know, a little, but that's also a trap, right? Because for short field, which is really what we're talking about, you got to get the, the plane down. I guess I was just sort of thinking about the, <laughs> like, it's not about the greasy landings, right? It's about, especially if it's raining or, you know, something you need to make contact, get a, get positive contact, stop the plane in a reasonable way, you know? So uh, we're not instructors here, but this is just my experience. I was just curious, Ben, if right. you had ever just like, like what's, what's your typical landing speed in the 182? Um, we're crossing the fence at 75 and we're doing, we're at 70, it's miles an hour in my plane. Yeah. Um, it's, and that's like 15 knots, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, 65, uh, I touched down. Okay. And yeah, but I have come in, like I said, um, uh, with no flaps, I'm doing, uh, 85 on final maybe even 90 on final and doing 80 over the fence. I mean, it's, it's a good bed. Yeah. And you know, those are the, my 20 degree flap landings are, seem to be better than my 35 degree. Mm, yeah. And it may be because I have a little bit more speed since I'm using less, less flaps, but to the point where Noah hates complimenting me on my good landings and he, it was painful for him, but he had to, <laughs> he had to give it up. He had to, uh, to give me the shout out. So, well, I'm so happy for all the check rides passed and all the mountains conquered. That stuff is huge. And I 100% relate to the feeling of, man, I totally blew that weight. I passed. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I definitely had that check ride experience with my short field landing. It was, you know, no, it, I did not think I passed. So congratulations to everybody. And now the learning can really begin. That's right. Uh, just a few quick comments. Um, I'm getting roasted in the chat on my landings. So I think at the fly-in, all I'm going to be doing is just doing laps in the pattern with different people to show them that I actually can do a, a halfway decent <laughs> landing. So. Uh, anything else for the good of the order? On that no, uh, we don't We don't have any feedback this week. So send us some feedback. Just go to our website or email us at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or go to midlifepilotpodcast.com. You can send us voice messages there. It's super easy. We really like the voice messages. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's it's nice to play them on on uh, so you just have to hear our voices. Uh, any fly-in news? Uh, you you mentioned uh, uh, getting space at tune. Working on that. Yeah. So yeah. the the aim is to have a designated area for all of us to park all of our planes. Uh, if you haven't filled out the RSVP or I guess there's a, so there's a website. If you just go to our website, <laughs> midlifepilot.com. No, no, it's not midlifepilotpodcast.com. Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry. Midlifepilotpodcast.com. It will be in the show notes. <laughs> you see it on our screens. Do not listen to me. no, <laughs> No, so if you go there, you can um, hit a button that takes you to the kind of event page that we have for that, and you can raise your hand there and say you're coming, whether you're going to be um, sticking around, leaving, how you're, you know, whatever. All that information, we definitely want to 
keep up with everybody. If you've raised your hand and said you're coming and then now you know you're not, let us know that too because we are, you know, the karaoke machine rental for Ben is not cheap, but we got to know exactly how much wattage we're packing here. So right. um, that's very important. So super excited about it. April 26th, 27th, 28th. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think we've got 40 or 50. I don't know. what We've got a lot of, there's, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. yeah um, and um, maybe when we get a little closer to it, maybe sometime uh, next month, um, like around the 10th or 11th, we can maybe update our fly-in sheet and say, are you coming or not? You know, we, it'd really be nice to have a head count of those that are definitely coming. And it's kind of hard to ask people to do it that at this point in time. Yeah. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that we can accommodate everybody. At and the, the compound sold the out. Gathering, so. Say again? The compound is sold out. The compound sold out, but we can have people over to tell war yes. stories. And have Ted sing karaoke oh, no. with me. Yeah. <laughs> now nobody's coming. Yeah. Well, that, now we're down to four people. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, this if you've ever heard me sing, know. you'd be staying out of the state of Tennessee. Yes. <laughs> this is a little this is a little ditty by a guy you might know called Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about the, the wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, guys. Um, well, patreon.com slash midlife pilot podcast. You know where all our stuff is. You can link to everything at www.midlifepilotpodcast.com. Everything is there. Uh, guys, thanks for the talk tonight. It was, a, it was a good chat, I thought. Yeah. Thanks to everybody in the chat uh, for roasting me. I really appreciate it. It feels good. Josh. M, we're glad to see you back in the chat. Um, and closing out episode 62 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Good night, everybody.